Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Dallas Greenway continued our middle school series, Influencer. Dallas talked about how we can be influencers by living small and influencing the people closest to us and dreaming big. We looked at Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16 and being salt and light to those around us. Dallas challenged us to find something small we can do to influence the people closest to us for the better this week. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, we are in week three of this Influencer Series, right? It's hard to believe we're in week three of anything in 2020, but uh, time keeps moving. Have you figured that out yet? It doesn't stop for nobody. Uh, So we are in week three. If you remember week one, we talked about humility versus arrogance, right? And we said that if we're going to be influencers, kingdom influencers, influencers for, for Christ, then we have to be people who follow in his footsteps and let God humble us. Let, let him make us people of humility just like Jesus was, right? And then last week, I was in bed sick, but Peter Peach was here to preach, and uh, he did a good job from what I heard, and he talked about wisdom, right? And the importance of if we're going to be a kingdom influencer uh, or a community of kingdom influencers, then we have to be people who seek wisdom from God and then live it out. After all, wisdom, I don't know if Peter said this last week, but wisdom is knowledge that is applied. It's when we know something and then we actually use that in real life, right? So receive wisdom from God, actually live it out, And then we share that wisdom with other people. That's part of being a kingdom influencer. And then this week, uh, we're going to keep talking about what it means to be an influencer for God's kingdom. And specifically talking about maybe a little bit of what that means for the people who are closest to you. All right? So go ahead and just tap your neighbor on the shoulder or put your arm around them if if you know them well enough. Okay? Uh, Yeah, just getting close and comfy. So I'm going to start this morning by actually telling you guys a little bit of my story. I think that you, uh, some of you, if you've been here long enough, you've heard part of my story, right? But I'm going to share a little bit. And I'm going to start in elementary school in third grade, okay? That was when my family moved here to Greenville. And uh, we were, we actually lived in a hotel for a little bit because we were waiting for our our uh, house to be built. And then we moved into our house. And now my family's been in that same house over in Five Forks for 20 years. It's crazy. I don't live there anymore, but my parents are there, okay? And, you know, we were one of the first houses in the neighborhood. Was anybody, the house you moved into when you moved there, were you like one of the first houses there? Yep. So, you know, there were kind of like no other houses around, no other kids to play with, right? And then people, you're still that way. (laughs) And then people start to move in, okay? It does get better, Samantha, eventually. And uh, thankfully, People moved in that had kids that were my age, right? So elementary school kids. And uh, so I I hung out. I did a lot with the kids in my neighborhood. Like we played hide-and-go-seek. The whole neighborhood was up for grabs, right? Even people's backyards that we didn't know. Uh, I kind of can't believe my parents let me do that, but we did it. And uh, so we had a lot of fun. We did a lot of crazy things in my neighborhood. Uh, But when I was in elementary school, about fifth grade, Up until that point, my family had been Catholic, and so we went to the Catholic Church, and we did Mass and that whole thing. It was actually at St. Mary Magdalene's just down the road. Now it's like massive. There's thousands of people that come there every single week, Um, and we we grew up Catholic, and me and my sister, when I was in fifth grade and she was in, um, I guess she would have been in third grade or fourth grade at that time, we started asking questions that my parents kind of didn't know how to respond to. 
And so based on what we were hearing at the Catholic Church, we were asking questions like, hey, so if we don't do enough good things in our life, does that mean that God doesn't like us? Like if we do more bad than good, does that mean that God doesn't like us and that we're going to hell? Like we were asking these questions as uh, elementary school kids, right? Kind of serious question. Maybe you've actually thought that way. I know I did uh, until I was about your age and actually started coming here, which we'll get to that in a second. But we were asking these questions like this and also, I just felt like God was really controlling. Like, if there was a God, and I, I kind of believed that there was at that point, then all he wanted to do was tell me what I could and could not do, and that he would have to have control of my life, and that there was no getting out of it, and that God having control of my life was like a really negative thing, right? Maybe you've felt that way too, uh, even if you have grown up here. Maybe you just feel like all God wants to do is just control your life, and that that would be the worst thing ever, and that's how I felt. And so me and my sister are asking these questions, and eventually my parents, they just decided, like, hey, we don't know the answers either, and we've grown up in the church. You know, at that point, they've been in church for 30 or 40 years or whatever, and, uh, and they said, we're just going to stop going for a little bit. Like, we need to figure this whole thing out. So we took a step back from the Catholic Church, and along, like, during that period of time, there's a family that moved into one of those newly built houses in our neighborhood, and their names, uh, their last name was the Johnsons, right? So... Uh, it was Tyler was their son, and he was about my age. He was a year older, and Brooke was the daughter uh, who was my sister's exact age, and then they had a younger son, Drew. Actually, if you remember Drew Johnson, he was one of our interns a couple summers ago. Um, it's his family that, that I'm talking about. And they moved into our neighborhood, and they were already coming here for church back when it was over at Southside Christian. And, and they didn't do anything crazy. Like, they didn't, like, come knocking on our door, right? And they were like, hey, here's the Bible. Have you ever seen it, right? And then just, poof, poof, just smack us across the face if we hadn't seen it before. Like, they weren't, they weren't coming and just, like, beating us over the head with Bibles, right? But here's what they did do is they became our friends. And they invited my family over for dinner, and we had them over. Uh, in the summers, both of my parents worked, but, but their mom stayed home, and so she would actually watch us and, you know, feed us and take good care of us, and uh, I always thought it was cool. At that time, video games were not, like, online. They were online a little bit, but it wasn't as big of a deal as it is today, and so, I know, I'm a, I'm a boomer, and uh, so we would go over there because the Johnsons, their dad was involved in computers and stuff with his job. And so they had like four or five computers in the house. And me and my friends would come over there and we'd all get on and we're like playing against each other. And it was like the best thing ever. So the Johnsons, their house was like fun to be at. Their family was uh, fun to be around. And they just started becoming friends with us as people who were in their neighborhood. And eventually the friendship developed to where they, you know, would start telling us about what they believed about God and life. And Really, they, they kind of started sharing things that we sang about in that last song about God being kind. Remember, I thought he was just out to control and out to get me, really. And they started telling us about grace, about Jesus' sacrifice and the forgiveness that's offered at the cross. They started telling us about things that hopefully you guys are familiar with and that we talk about most every week here. But at that point in my family's life and in my life as a little elementary school kid, it all was new. It all was foreign. It all was... It just was fresh, right? 
And eventually, by the time I was in sixth grade, they had started inviting us to church, and my sister was the first one that they got, right? They were like, hey, it's really fun. The kids, kids think's fun. And my sister went with them one morning, and uh, then not long after that, they, they brought us to Jingle Jazz. Has anybody ever been to Jingle Jazz? You've been in the last couple years? It's like our Christmas thing we do here every year. And my family came to the first Jingle Jazz. That was the first thing we ever did with this church. And I can remember meeting this guy named Jason Malone. He was the youth pastor, or one of them at the time. And you got to think, like, up until that point, all I knew was the Catholic Church, okay? And so holy people or, like, godly people to me were nuns and priests, okay? So they can't be married. Uh, they always seemed to talk, like, super weird. It was like they were always using King James English or something, right? Like, old school English. And so I never understood what they were talking about. And they always wore, like, way different clothes than me, like really extravagant bathrobes, right? That's how I thought about it as a kid, and sometimes still do think about it. And so when I meet Jason Malone, like, Tyler's taking me around, my best friend at the time, Tyler, he's taking me around the church and, like, showing me, we used to play hide-and-go-seek in the church, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that, but he would show me, like, all the sweet spots to hide, he's like, nobody's ever going to find you here, bro, it's going to be awesome. And then, uh, and then he, he took me to meet Jason. And Jason was the youth pastor. He didn't have a robe on. In fact, he wore pretty much what I'm wearing now. He had jeans and a polo on, right? He probably tucked his in. I just don't like it. It feels restricting. Uh, and so, but Jason was like the first godly person, at least that I thought of at the time, who just was a normal dude. And that blew my little mind. Like, he's married. Uh, he seems really normal. He's talking like in language that I can understand. And as a little sixth grader, I just remember being so taken by that. Like, okay, so God isn't just for nuns and priests. God is actually maybe for somebody like me. And so my family started coming on every Sunday, every Wednesday, because we used to do Wednesday night. We used to have like dinner and all that whole thing. It was pretty cool. And we would come like every chance we could. And I've told you guys this before, but a lot of the reason that I really liked coming was because on Sunday mornings we had donuts, kind of like we have candy and soda, right? We had donuts every week. We had pizza on Wednesday nights. Uh, They had four square. So, I mean, we have a lot more games now than we did back in my day. Uh, Back in my day, you boomer. (laughs) Uh, But, but, and, and my friends were there. Like I came because of a lot of the fun stuff, right? Which I think is maybe why some of you guys come as well. But the whole time I, I was coming, I, I couldn't even tell you, I, can, I don't remember any of the messages that they taught me, right? Which, so just so you know, I don't expect you to remember very many of my messages either, if any of them. But what I do remember is hearing, again, a lot of the same things that we just sang about, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, all of these things about who God truly was. And it changed my life from sixth grade to eighth grade, hearing about those things over and over and over again. And then in eighth grade is when I would say that I finally trusted Christ and I became a part of the kingdom family. And I would attribute a lot of that to the Johnsons and God moving that family into my neighborhood and using them just to be friends with my family. And to share life with my family. Not doing anything crazy. Not like every time we got together, we read the Bible. And you know, they didn't even do everything perfectly, right? Like me and Tyler got into plenty of fights, okay? We're like brothers. You guys have friends who are like your brother or your sister, right? And you know you guys can get each other, get at each other just like a real brother and sister, right? And that's what it was with their family. They didn't do everything perfect, but in some way, shape, or form, God was using them in the life of my family. 
And I, I actually think, I kind of look at it like this, like it's kind of like a ripple effect, right? Where, you know, if you've, if you've ever thrown a rock into a lake or like a pool or some body of water, you know, like it just, you guys can do, make the water sound way better than I can. Somebody do it. That's, that's the best I got right now. But you guys know it splashes into the water, right? And from there, wherever that rock lands, a ripple effect happens. And here's what I think happened with the Johnsons is that they were that rock in the life of my family and that God planted them in the perfect spot and that my family was one of the people who was in one of those inner ripples. I mean, you guys know the biggest like wave or the biggest ripple, right, happens closest to the rock. And the Johnsons, where they were positioned, we just happened to be in one of those inner ripples and got the most affected by their life. But get this, the ripple effect of the Johnson's impact, the way God used them in my life, doesn't just stop there, right? In fact, when you throw a rock into a lake or some some body of water, right, and you see the ripples go, a lot of times you don't even know where the final ripple ends, right? You You can't even see it, right? And Here's what's kind of interesting is that the the ripple effect with the Johnsons doesn't end just with my family. In fact, you guys, every one of you in this room, whether it's your first time here or it's your 101st time here, right, you are somewhere in one of these ripples. That years and years later, literally like 15 years later, you're one of those like outer ripples still being affected by the impact that the Johnsons, their family had on me as a kid. It's crazy. But you guys are in there. And whether you realize it or not, you guys have some sort of story like this and have been caught in somebody's ripple effect as well. Where maybe it was your family who first started telling you about Jesus or it was some friends, like some close friends, and they eventually invited you to church. Or maybe it was somebody in your neighborhood, right? Like a family that moved into your neighborhood and that's the reason that you're here today. That's the reason that you're a follower of Jesus. But somehow, some way, you've been caught in the ripple effect of someone that God's put in your life. Ultimately, we're caught in like the big ripple effect of, of Jesus, right? Uh, but, and now, here's the deal, is you and I are called to be used, much like the Johnsons were in my life, to be used like that in the life of somebody else. And you'll never know the impact and how far the ripples will go. But I think that if you start to focus, just like this family did in my life, if you start to focus on the people who are in that, those inner circles of your ripple, that that's, that's where God wants you to be. That's where God wants you to focus. That's where he wants you to put your energy. That's where he wants to use your influence. See, we, we've all been called, and we've kind of talked about it over the last couple of weeks, but we've called to be a light in this world. We've been called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And the way Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5 is maybe one of my favorite ways that he does. So if you want to turn real quick to Matthew 5, uh, verses, starting in verse 14, just verses 14 and 16. It's probably language that you're all familiar with. But here, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, and, and maybe, you, maybe you have, but maybe you're not there yet, right? Maybe you're like me when I was in middle school. Most of my middle school years, I was hearing about him, hearing about him, God would put people in my life to to tell me more about him. He put football coaches in my life and other families here at church. But maybe maybe you haven't yet given your life to to God. But maybe you keep like feeling it. It's like he's knocking on the door of your heart. And the more you learn about him, the more captivated you are by him. Maybe today's the day that, that you actually do that. 
Maybe today's the day where, you know, for me, it was just me going home and I was in, in my room by myself and I just said, God, I, I, I surrender. Like, I can't, I can't not be yours. Like, why, why wait? And maybe that's you. Maybe you need to talk to your small group leader about what that means to give your life to Christ, or maybe you can talk to me after, after service, after small groups, but we'd, we'd love to have that conversation with you. But once, once you do that, once you are a part of the family of God, he's got a, he's got a mission for you. He's got something for you to be a part of, and it's, it's this, right? Jesus says, this is in, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous sermons, right? He says in Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, right? So who are we? What are we supposed to do? Jesus literally says, you are the light of the world. See, once you become a son or a daughter of God, God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes to live and dwell within you. Like heart change, life transformation, is, it, it's happened. It's happening within you and within me if you've put your trust in Jesus. And part of what he's doing is giving you a new mission, a, a new purpose, really the one we were all originally supposed to have to begin with, right? To make much of God, to be a light to the world. And he gives us two, two uh, forms of light right here, right? One is the city on a hill. And maybe a better way for us to think about it, because there's like lights everywhere in cities everywhere, it seems, is, uh, you know, you, you guys have probably, you haven't been driving on the interstate, because none of you drive yet, right? But you've been riding on the interstate late at night, and you come up on an exit. And sometimes what you see, at least for me, it's kind of glorious, okay, is a pair of golden arches. And you see the golden arches in the dead of night, right? Everything else is dark. And you didn't realize that you wanted fries and a McFlurry, an M&M McFlurry, right? But now you do. There's something about those golden arches that just lights the path for your stomach and for your heart, right? And now you're like, Mom, Dad, I've really got to go to the bathroom, and you've got to buy me these fries and McFlurry, right? But maybe you're like, "Uh, McDonald's is disgusting, okay? I only eat vegan fries or whatever. Uh, Are fries vegan already? I don't even know. Yeah, but Chick-fil-A is only open certain days, and if I talk about it right now, you're not going to be able to satisfy that craving, okay? But, but the light, the, this city on a hill or the exit sign, right, in some ways it illuminates a path for you. It gives you direction, right? It says, hey, there's people there, there's civilization there, maybe there's food there. It lights a path to a destination. It gives you a place to go. And in the same way, we as people of God we're now called to be a part of helping light the path for people. The path to what? Like to McDonald's? No, the path to eternal life, right? God wants to use you and me much like he used the Johnsons and their entire family in my life and in my family's life. And and he wants us to be people who are lighting the path or pointing people in the direction of God. That's what he wants. And then the other illustration that he gives is this this example or this picture of a lamp, right? Uh, Most of us do not light a lamp in our house and then hide the lamp behind the couch, right? Or put a blanket on top of it. I mean, maybe if you're like trying to do a fort or something, right? But but most of us, we, we have a lamp and when we get it, we put it on a table, 
so that it can light up everything in the room, right? Or at least in that corner of the room. So what does that have to do with us? Well, part of our call as lights of the world is to be a part of illuminating, lighting up dark places in people's lives, right? Part of what happened in my conversations and in my time with the Johnsons is they started to help us see that, like, man, we're way bigger sinners than we thought we were. My family was way messed up than we thought they were, or than we thought we were, and God used people like the Johnsons and other people at this church to help us see the depths of our sin. Not only, like, just the sin in our individual hearts, but also, you know, we're supposed to help people light that up, but also bring light just to the dark situations in people's lives, where maybe it's their thoughts that they struggle with, or maybe it's a family situation that they're dealing with, and God's called us in some small way to, with the people who are in our ripple effect, to be people who shine a light in the dark places of people's souls and their physical lives. So let me ask you this, if If that's what we're called to, if we're called to shine a light, if we're called to point people toward God, who who are the people in your ripple effect? Who are the people in those circles? For the Johnsons, it was the other families in their neighborhood. And then for me, once once my family became a part of the family of God, which, by the way, we, we were all baptized on the same day because the way God worked in our family, we just, we all trusted him in the same period of months, right? It was awesome. And what happened next is now, now we realized, hey, our neighbors are actually a part of this. And so there's a family that moved in down the street who, I don't know if you, got, you guys don't remember it because you weren't born yet, I don't think, but Hurricane Katrina in, in New Orleans, when that hit, that, that displaced so many people, right? It displaced all these people. And so they moved all around the country. And one of the places that one of those families moved was in our neighborhood. And when we realize that we're a part of the family of God, that we now share this mission of being the light to the world, lighting a path, bringing light into the darkness, then one of my good friends, Josh, he started hanging out with our family. And he started hanging out with the Johnsons. And eventually he became a believer. Now he's a cop in Spartanburg and has a family. And they go to church over there and serve faithfully. Like That's just part of the ripple effect of how this works. So who is it in your ripple effect, your closest circles? Your friends, your family, the people that you spend the most time with, who are those people and how, maybe throwing back to the first week, how are you influencing them? See, if, if we're going to do this, I think, we, I think we have to start, if we're going to live out this mission, I think we have to start with the people who are right in front of us. Jesus, he literally... Uh, I think you could easily say that he preached to and and did miracles in front of or for over 100,000 people, right? Lots of people in just three years of real public ministry, right? Maybe less than that. And everywhere that Jesus went, I mean, he attracted a huge crowd. But for him, it was never about all, like, just attracting a huge crowd, right? For Jesus, every interaction that we see seems to be, for the most part, about the person who was right in front of him. What he was most concerned about was the person who was right in front of him. Whether it was a lady who needed physical healing from something she'd been dealing with for over 10 years, or a woman who needed forgiveness for some of the darkness in her own heart and life, 
or a man who had been possessed by a demon and was waiting for someone to set him free, Jesus made it personal. He was focused on the people who were right there at at any given moment within the first couple ripples. So who are the people in your ripple effect and how are you influencing them? What if you started to maybe take a page out of Jesus' book and love those people well, just like Jesus did? What if you realize that, hey, my mission with these people is to be a light in their life, be the hands and feet of Jesus? I think it would change everything. So think about that this week. Who's in your ripple? How are you influencing them? And are you influencing them for the kingdom? The Johnsons, like I said, they didn't do anything crazy. I'm not asking you now, everywhere you go in school, you need to have your Bible ready, you need to be reading Bible verses. Like that's maybe what God's called you to do. But more likely, he's called you to be an incredible friend, to be someone who loves other people really well. And I think eventually that God's going to make a way for you to speak truth, for you to light a path, for you to point them towards the one true God, the only one worth giving our lives to. Let me pray. God, thank you again for the example of Jesus, for his example of loving the person who's right in front of him, for God, even how the most time that he spent with anybody was spent with the disciples, and now we feel the ripple effect of that, that the disciples became some of the early leaders in the church, and now because of the things that you were doing in and through them, we're here right now today, still as the church, worshiping you learning about you, talking about you. So God, help us this week to be able to see the people a little more clearly in our our ripple effect and help us to be the light and to love them well, just like Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.